Hello, welcome to the Positive Energy Podcast, the official podcast of the University of Ottawa's Positive Energy Program. We seek to strengthen public confidence in Canadian energy policy, regulation, and decision-making through evidence-based research and analysis, engagement, and recommendations for action. I'm your host, Brendan Frank. Today, we're kicking off season two. This season, we'll be focusing on a new and crucial question concerning Canada's energy future in an age of climate change. What are the respective roles and responsibilities between policymakers, regulators, the courts, municipalities, and Indigenous governments when it comes to energy and climate decision-making? Clearly articulating and strengthening relationships between and among public authorities is one of the most pivotal but understudied factors shaping our collective energy and climate future. So pivotal that it forms the basis for an entire stream of research here at Positive Energy. Here to kick off the discussion is Dr. Monica Gattinger, Chair of Positive Energy, a full professor at U Ottawa's School of Political Studies, and Director of the Institute for Science, Society, and Policy, and also my boss. Welcome, Monica. Thanks, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be here. So why do we need to clarify and strengthen relationships among energy decision makers? Where, where is that need coming from? Well, I think the important thing to begin with is to uh, think about energy decision making as a system. So it's a, a system that's comprised of multiple component parts. You've got government policymakers, you have regulators, you've got indigenous governments, you've got municipal, municipal governments, a whole host of different public authorities that are helping to make decisions when it comes to energy issues. But what we've seen over the last number of years is that there's a real lack of clarity around who decides what, who decides when, and who decides how. And you, know, you need to look no further than uh, controversial energy projects to see that there's a real lack of clarity sometimes around exactly these issues. You know, at the end of the day, is it a cabinet making the decision? Is it a regulatory agency? Uh, is it an Indigenous government that has the final authority to make a decision on, on an energy project? Um, all of these things lead to, in many instances, lower levels of public confidence in energy decision making. So there are multiple sources for this. We've got a lot of issues uh, that now are part of energy decision making, things like climate change, things like reconciliation with indigenous peoples, things like cumulative effects. Uh, we've also got in a general way, lower levels of public trust uh, in public authorities. And we've got you know, communities and individuals who want to have greater input into decisions that affect them. So all of these things together lead to a situation where you know, in the absence of clarity about who decides when it comes to energy issues, when do they decide? How do they decide? Uh, it can lead to real challenges for people to understand where decisions coming from and why. So I want to zero in on the, the point of clarity there. Uh, previous episodes have focused on the topic of, of polarization, but what is the relationship between responsibilities among decision makers and polarization? What's the connection between the two? Yeah, that's a super uh, important question. So, I mean, we know in Canada that debates about the country's energy future in an age of climate change have become pretty divisive, if not uh, outright polarized. And, you know, we've done a lot of public opinion research in this space that has actually shown us that, you know, Canadians aren't necessarily as polarized as we might think when it comes to energy issues. But where we do see polarization frequently is areas around partisan 
differences so that we, we see opinions polarized along partisan lines. And this is actually really important when it comes to energy decision making, because one of the key decision makers for energy is policymakers, right? It's governments. And so if we're seeing increasingly issues around energy and climate change polarized along partisan lines, we can get, you know, wild swings in public policy, whether it's on things like carbon taxes or pipelines, and all of that really challenges public confidence in energy decision making. And so it's so important important then in that context to not only clarify who's deciding, but also to strengthen the relationships between policymakers and regulators when it comes to energy decision-making, particularly in the context of climate change. So positive energy's research to date has identified sort of two key questions to ask when thinking about strengthening public confidence in energy decision-making. And you actually alluded to them a moment ago, who decides and how to decide. Could you talk about the relationship between those two concepts? Yeah, this is something that's really emerged in our work over the last number of years. So, you know, who decides is pretty obvious, right? At the end of the day, who's making uh, the key decisions about energy? Is it policymakers, regulators, indigenous governments, municipal uh, governments? But, you know, increasingly, people also look to the process that's used to make decisions. So it's not only about who the final decision maker is, but how did they go about making that decision? How open and transparent was that decision-making process? How representative was it? What kind of opportunities were there for people to be engaged uh, in that decision-making process? And so the process of making a decision actually becomes extremely important. So it's not just about the substance of a decision, but it's also the process that's utilized to make it. And so from our perspective, it's not only then about who decides, but it's also about how to decide, because at the end of the day, what we're interested in at Positive Energy is public confidence and decisions. And that's about not only the substance of them, but also about the process used to make them. So two of our our favorite phrases here at Positive Energy are informed reform and durable balance. Those are actually coined during the first three-year phase of of Positive Energy, but they've carried through to the, the second phase. Can you explain those two ideas and discuss why they are so pivotal to strengthening roles and responsibilities and clarifying roles and responsibilities among public authorities? For sure. So, you know, it it really goes back to energy decision making being a system. I think that's often something that's lost when people talk about energy decision making. They, you know, focus in on an individual project, for example, and then think about, oh, okay, perhaps it's, you know, a regulatory process that had some, you know, demerits to it or, or, or what have you. But Energy decision-making is a system. There are different elements to it, public policy elements, regulatory elements, project decision-making elements, all of these things fit together. And when we talk about informed reform, what we mean by that is if you're gonna reform energy decision-making, do it in a way that takes into consideration that full system. Ensure that that reforms are undertaken in in an informed way so that not only do they attend to intended consequences, but also unintended consequences. So it's really about, you know, making sure that if we're going to be changing the way we make decisions for energy, that we do so in a way that takes into consideration all of the potential impacts uh, of those changes. So that relates a lot to durable balance. So when we say durable balance, what we're referring to is trying to make sure that we've got energy decisions and decision-making systems that find a workable balance between various energy imperatives. So those can be 
market imperatives, environmental imperatives like climate change, security imperatives, whether it's reliability or affordability, all of those various issues, and ensuring that you've got a balance between those imperatives that will stand the test of time. So energy, any energy decision-making system that doesn't strike that durable balance uh, will run into challenges. And that, of course, is a very tall order, but something that uh, our research really tries to zero in on and ensure that for Canada, we're providing recommendations to help the country get to that. So I was hoping I could actually follow up on the uh, the unintended consequences that, that you alluded to. Are we, as a a large energy intensive federal democracy prone to certain types of unintended consequences? Are there examples of unintended consequences from previous reforms that we should be particularly mindful of? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know that, that there'd be any particular characteristics for Canada that would be, um, you know, that, that would lead to that. I think what I would say though, is that, you know, there are an, a growing number of emerging imperatives around energy. And I mentioned some of them earlier, environmental imperatives, the need for you know, citizen engagement and involvement in decision-making, um, you know, the, the need to attend to cumulative effects and reconciliation with indigenous peoples. Um, and at the end of the day, ensuring that we've got a decision-making system that's also you know, stable and, and predictable uh, and provides an investment climate that will actually attract the capital needed to develop energy in the country, regardless of whether that's you know hydrocarbons or hydropower or uh, wind power or, or, or what have you. And I think this is one area where in terms of, of unintended consequences, it's so important to strike that durable balance between those various imperatives, which sometimes can be competing uh, imperatives so that you do have a system that not only has confidence uh, of Canadians, but also confidence of investors, confidence of the governments uh, who are gonna need to stand behind decisions that get made. And in terms of these competing imperatives, uh, so historically in Canada, climate and energy policy have been made in silos. How should we be thinking about integrating them? And what is the role of the various decision makers that you've alluded to? I think this is an area that that is just so crucial uh, for Canada. One of the things that we did at the outset of this uh, current three-year phase of positive energy is we wrote a paper that laid out some of the challenges that Canada has been facing in terms of charting its energy future in an age of climate change. And we pointed to exactly this issue, which is that, you know, we've often had, um, you know, Canadian governments being very good about making ambitious commitments to climate, uh, uh, you know, to climate uh, mitigation, but not necessarily uh, being able to achieve those commitments. And we point to a number of factors that, uh, you know, that can explain that. One of which is the need really to try to strike that, that durable, workable balance and ensure that when we're making climate policy, we're doing so in ways that are attending to uh, the full range of energy imperatives. So not just ensuring that, you know, decisions are made that will reduce uh, GHG emissions, which is obviously central, but also making sure that that's also being done in a way, you know, that will ensure we've got affordable energy, that will ensure that we've got uh, decisions that will be able to be accepted by communities when it comes to new infrastructure, ensuring that we've got an investment climate that will attract the capital that's going to be needed to transform our energy systems, and really that integrated approach to thinking about not, you know, how do we bring together both climate and energy imperatives, that's going to be really crucial for the country moving forward. It is a massive challenge. 
what, uh, what research and findings can we expect from positive energy in the coming months that will actually dive into to some of these challenges and offer some recommendations? Well, we've got some great studies coming up. I'm really excited uh, about them. And they fall into three different areas, uh, the first of which looks at federal-provincial relations. You know, So it's no secret in Canada that the federal government and the provinces uh, don't always get along when it comes to energy and climate issues. So we're really keen to try to get a better understanding of you know, how could we strengthen energy federalism in this country. We have a couple of studies in there, one that looks at uh, federalism over energy energy and climate issues, and then one that looks at, uh, from an investment perspective, final investment decisions, um, particularly for LNG projects uh, in Canada. It's a comparative study between British Columbia and uh, Western Australia. So that's one area of projects. The second area um, relates to um, the relationships between policymakers, regulators, and the courts. And in that area, we've got uh, a couple of really interesting studies, one of which is looking at the concept of regulatory independence and how has regulatory independence evolved over time uh, in Canada? And do we have the regulatory systems in this country that we're going to need in the next uh, number of decades to successfully chart our energy future in an age of climate change? The second study in that uh, policy regulatory judicial bucket relates to just new imperatives uh, for regulators in terms of their relationships with policymakers and what are some of the emerging practices and innovative practices when it comes to policymakers and regulators, you know, strengthening their um, relationships and lines of communication, because that, again, is very essential to have that, you know, regulatory and and policymaker um, relationship working hand uh, in glove, but of course, informed by by independence. The third area where we've got two studies coming out relates to new imperatives um, that uh, regulators in particular are having to deal with, uh, one of which is these growing demands um, and expectations for engagement in energy decision-making. So what are some of the things that regulators are doing to open up their decision-making processes, whether it's to the public or environmental organizations or other civil society organizations, and what are some of the best practices there? And then we're also looking at new technologies. What are the ways in which new technologies are really trying to, are really um, affecting the way that regulators are undertaking their business and, and reshaping the role of regulators and people's confidence in regulatory decisions? making. Uh, So we'd like to think that these uh, studies coming out in these various areas really cover a pretty broad waterfront, but are dealing with some priority areas for Canada in terms of strengthening um, relationships between various public authorities uh, in energy decision making. Lots to look forward to indeed. And I'll just note for our listeners that we do have some early findings from a few of those projects on the Positive Energy website already. We would encourage you to check those out. Monica Gattinger, thank you very much. You are most welcome. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Brendan. You've been listening to the Positive Energy Podcast. To see more of our research and to find out about upcoming events, check out our website. Today's episode was produced by Alicia Aziz, Raphael Desordi, and myself, Brendan Frank. We'll be back with more episodes that dive deeper into roles and responsibilities in the coming weeks. We hope you'll join us.